I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Aria Jenkins. She is a poet and photographer, and she's going to be talking to us today and reading from her ekphrastic poetry. Then on our short feature, I'll be talking about a powerful new collection focused on the topic of gun violence, a book of poetry and prose that is quite powerful. And I must mention, if our audio on this particular podcast is not as high as you'd like it to be, we are working in the field under difficult circumstances. The best connection Aria could find close by out there in Ohio was a neighborhood Dunkin' Donuts. And she is talking to us from her car in the parking lot of that Dunkin' Donuts. Such is the devotion to poetry. You're going to enjoy this program. Stick around. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today comes to us from Ohio, Aria Jenkins, and she writes poetry, she writes fiction, she writes creative nonfiction, in fact. Her uh, jazz fiction was recently nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Uh, She's a bit of a photographer as well, and uh, I found her, met her, let's say, because I dropped by the Ekphrastic Review periodically to look at the beautiful art that uh, Lorette, the editor, selects, and the excellent poems she selects. And there I saw a poem by Aria and thought I should contact this person and have her be on the podcast series. So, Aria, here we are. We've managed to do it thanks to the wide world of Internet. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. It's great to be here. And thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, well, your poem made me think of you. That's what. I, and you, do you do – I mean, the poems – I said – after I wrote to you, you know, and said I like this poem based on Rodin's The Kiss, his sculpture, and you sent me some additional ekphrastic poems. So do, do you, uh, are you, are you really deeply into visual art, let's say? I am, actually. Uh, the visual arts are stimulating um, to the writing. Um, as you probably know, photography and film uh, in particular, as well as visual arts um, in general, really stimulate uh, the written word, for me anyway. Yeah. Do you, do you think you have a, a, a particular process you go through? How does, how does an ekphrastic poem happen for you? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, in this particular case, we were, a, a few of us were asked to read uh, for a women's show in uh, Youngstown at the YWCA, and so I had the privilege of going to the gallery on a day when it should have been closed. So I was alone there and I was drawn to a few images. Um, and in the case of the second poem I hope to read, I just stood in front of it and it was so evocative um, of, uh, of many things and not thinking consciously, I just began to write. It reminded me, um, it, it's sort of the high room image with the drawers coming out, and I thought of a poem about an ancestor of mine, a great grandmother on my mother's side, who'd actually been imprisoned by her husband in an attic for her beautiful singing voice. A combination of elements combined so that uh, to birth this poem, which um, just came right out. And so that's, that's the process that I followed with um, the three or four other images that I was attracted to in that show. 
Um, and it was actually very quick and, and kind of a matter of letting different ideas and impressions gel and come to being on their own. Well, wow, that's great that you naturally uh, spin off of the art because it's, it's like, to me, it's like haibun. You don't want the haiku to say what the prose says. And with aphrastic poems, you don't want them to just tell you what the painting is. You want it to be more, to go beyond it or be deeper beneath it or something like right. that. And it seems like you spontaneously go there. Yeah, it, it, it was spontaneous in, that, in those instances, yeah. Okay, well, well let's hear the, the, the Rodin-based poem. Great. Um, the first one, uh, the one you responded to, was called After Rodin's Sculpture, The Kiss. Yep. The frame for that, um, the time frame for that was 1901 to 1904, that sculpture. I feel your hand on my hip. Your hand speaks to me. Is the story of our finding one another, the story of the moment and never letting go. The story is in the hand that held the book in which you read the story of Francesca and Paolo in Dante's Inferno, our story. My breasts come into being full of you, remembering you. My kiss feeds you all I know my strength in the face of knowing they will kill us for this and send us to hell. And still we dare to be as we are together here, all eyes on us, knowing only what they want to know, only their story into which we disappear by virtue of our eternal nakedness. And are you saying that one came rather readily to you? Yes, it came exactly wow. like that. Whoa. Actually, that one was not part of the show. Mm -hmm. um, um, the one I'm going to read you now is the one that came to being, um, with the exception of a word or two, as I stood in front of the image. But Diane Beatty, who's the artist, um, the photographer, was really um, is extraordinary. And um, the image was really provocative. So... Um, I give her a lot of credit in this regard. It's called After Diane Beatty's Photograph, History Abandoned. Empty drawers piled high in an attic. Where else but in a woman's house or in the house of the man who keeps her? Floor littered with tiles of neglect. The ceiling aches to break free. <coughs> this is my house, my attic. Drawers, rows upon rows, some opened and emptied and secured, privy to storms and crimes, swept to oblivion. Those locked like ossified bones refuse to let us see the dust of centuries that becomes other things. What if in these tiny cells, Women's voices speak, what if they sing? What if among the rafters where birds' feathers catch in flight, echoes refract like cracks of light and everywhere inside and out of women's voices is heard thrumming. Before you read this book, did you say that this you had a, a, a 
was that an aunt who was locked in the attic? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, it's a story from my own past that, you know, echoed all this, this sort of communal idea of um, silence as related to women and their voices through history. So there's not a lot of thought um, that comes, uh, you know, at the forefront of these particular poems. It's mm -hmm. more an inspiration that gathers momentum with the energy that I felt just looking at the image. Wow, that's a really it's a really interesting story. Wow, and that picture I when I went and looked at it online, it, it reminded me of the uh, the end of what was it, Indiana Jones, or you know, when the big warehouse is there at the end that goes right. on forever and ever and ever, like a like a government file cabinet cave that's miles long. And that that picture kind of reminded me of that. It wasn't that immense, but it had that tremendous emptiness look to it. Exactly. And I think it is that actually. So your perception is pretty good. Oh, you know, you mentioned that you uh, want to have an opportunity to talk about poets who you think the, well, who have influenced you or who you admire and who you think the world should know about maybe a little more because you said the same names keep coming up. I thought that was a cool idea. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, I love, I love yeah. Mary Oliver. I love, you know, Sylvia Plath. I love Stanley um, Kunitz. These are all names yeah. that are familiar to people, but there are also, a, there's a world of other fantastic writers and poets, um, many of whom I've gotten to know uh, through their work, their living, um, their, their hardworking, their amazing. Um, James Cushing is one. He's out of California. He's written four books. Ken's is... Uh, an amazing poet in the event of full disclosure is a very, very fine collection. She's just stunning. Um, Kendra DeColo, a young woman uh, who's written a couple of books. One is Thieves in the Afterlife. Alexis Roan uh, Fancher is a photographer and poet, and she's got a couple of books as well. Michelle Real, a teacher, um, and uh, has written a couple of books. Um, poetry, um, Kelly Grace Gaddis, as well as a poet. Um, these are all exciting writers and new names, you know? It's like in all the arts, it seems like we get caught on a treadmill of admiring the same faces and the same people and the same stuff. And mm -hmm. it not only, it, it, it gets stale, I mean, the the arts are constantly growing and flourishing and the way to make sure that they do is to look for what's new and what's exciting and um, these people are all offering that for sure people listening remember you can rewind and get all <laughs> the names it's the beauty i think it's the beauty of recording so often we have things or a poem that's just something that it's worth going back and listening to it again actually right. i was quite interested that you mentioned Alexis Fancher, because I'm going to be interviewing her for a podcast in just a couple of days. Great. I just independently came upon her from someone else who uh, who knew her and recommended her and said she'd be good. The work of all these folks and their bios and, uh, you know, information about what they've written and everything are, of course, online. Sure. We have a world uh, available to us on the Internet. So um, search for new voices and new people to hear.
Yeah, I think you're, it's like teaching for some people is um, stimulating to their art and their writing. It always was for me when I taught writing. Uh -huh. And so I think what you're doing may have, may serve the same role. Well, here's hoping we just put it out there and we never know what happens, but right. we know people are listening and that's very, that's, you know, makes us feel good. Well, well let's try another poem. Great. Um, not, well, yeah. these two are out of um, an upcoming collection called Autumn Rumors that CW Books is going to publish this year. So I thought I'd read them. They're also a ekphrastic. Mm -hmm. And so I'm keeping the theme sure. about the visual and the, the marriage of the visual and the literary. So this is called After Robert Dash's Photograph into the Mystic. Uh, could you describe, just objectively kind of describe that? Sure, it's um, it's a misty, um, very, um, you know, it's a misty image of the sea. Very little in it, but but the feeling that you get in looking at it, and so it's very evocative. It's almost like looking at a a sea painting of a Rothko, uh -huh. you know, with just pale colors graduating down to blue. From what I recall, I don't have the image in front of me. And there are some so that it's it's um it's almost bordering on the abstract, um so that you have you can fill it with your own imagination. Yeah. And there are human forms in it, as I recall. Yes. Right. Are there I don't think there are any. There kind of at the, you don't I see them very clearly. The images, the image of um that was presented by um by someone, by the person that published this poem, actually, mm -hmm. the, the magazine that published this poem, Otis Nebula, um, and the poem that follows it, um, is, does not necessarily correspond to the actual art. So mm -hmm. that was different. Okay. Um, it sort of is, uh, is their own interpretation of the image, I guess. Um, okay. All art being an interpretation. Yeah. Um, but so, this is what you're responding to, though. So yeah, so what I'm responding to initially is the Misty Sea. Got it. Um, it's called After Robert Dash's Photograph into the Mystic. They say when those that love the sea die, they rush out across the blue toward the horizon and are undressed along their way by the sea's smoky breath. So only a wisp of memory, hope, and love reaches God. Hmm. They say the pearly soul dances a final time, seeing on the sea's face the mirror of its past lives. It is a swift dance, a curlicue, a laugh only the fishes hear and only the distance believes and understands. Uh, definitely uh, just mood evocative. And this yeah. is called um, After Rooms by the Sea, 1951, by Edward Hopper. And everyone is pretty familiar with that painting. Um, it's an open door, um, very, you know, pretty much as opposite from the other image as you can think of. Um, it's a room that opens its door, and you have a view of the sea. He has left me these rooms and memories like blades by the sea that sweep aside all flesh and memory of it, an exorcism in his absence that takes away all 
but the sunlight and laughing babe that repeats, I told you so, I told you so. I know the deep blueness inside the sea that carries everything away would take me too if I let it. There at my fingertips, it sings always. Instead, I choose these rooms, changing diagrams of light as the clean slate upon which to rebuild my life, reclaim my days, take down the trenchant night. Trenchant's a nice word. Oh, do you have any other words of wisdom for us on poetry? Uh, on poetry or life, wow, that's uh, a big order. Um, <laughs> for the writers and poets out there, keep writing, keep submitting uh, words of encouragement, I think, because um, that's an important role we all have. Who are on social media and who um, are trying to communicate our work. Um, we encourage one another, especially in these times when the arts are under threat. So I appreciate the opportunity again to speak with you and through you to um, fellow writers and poets and anyone else who might be listening. That's great. Okay, we've been talking to Aria Jenkins right here on Poetry Spoken Here. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about an extraordinary and timely poetry anthology. It's called Bullets into Bells with a subtitle that tells you exactly what it's about. Poets and citizens respond to gun violence. The book is structured so that after each poem in the collection is presented, it is responded to by a non-poet who is personally experienced, involved in some way with gun violence. The combined impact is extremely powerful as the two writings meet. I'm just going to give you an example. Here's a poem by recent poet laureate Juan Felipe Herrera. It's called Poem by Poem, as in the memory of the nine people killed in church in Charleston, South Carolina, in June of 2015. Poem by Poem. We can end the violence every day after Every other day, nine killed in Charleston, South Carolina. They are not nine. They are each one. Alive, we do not know. You have a poem to offer. It is made of action. You must search for it. Run outside and give your life to it when you find it. Walk it back. Blow upon it. Carry it taller than the city where you live. When the blood comes down, do not ask if it is your blood. It is made of nine drops. Honor them. Wash them. Stop them from falling. And on the next page, after Herrera's poem, we have this, written by the Reverend Sharon Reicher, who was a survivor of multiple victims from that Charleston church shooting. The opening of the Reverend's prose contribution is chilling as it enumerates her personal relationship to four of those who were murdered. My heart raced as I tried to clear my head and heart to read this poem, 
about the senseless deaths of my mother, two cousins, and a childhood friend. Just like now, I am shaking like I have never read it. I've read it ten times or more, and still, it's like the first time. The day it happened was just like any other day. The Bible study went on as usual. Then evil lurked and entered this sacred place. These souls died together, yet they have their own stories. Please don't forget that. Individuals, each one. And then she goes on to talk about some of the individual characteristics of those four people who she loved and who were murdered. The poems and and the respondents in this book cover a wide range of situations. I look through to see, and sadly, the persons and places are familiar. Charleston, Sandy Hook Elementary, Columbine, Tamir Rice, Ferguson, Orlando, and there are more. Scenes of domestic violence when an angered spouse or ex-spouse comes back with a gun. Domestic scenes when a child shoots another child with a gun that was not properly stored. It's a hell of a collection. And if you care to learn about organizations working on the issues of gun violence, you can simply research organizations that the citizen respondents are affiliated with, and in some cases have founded. So, this is an anthology, I can't recommend it enough. It is so powerful. It's published by Beacon Press. The editors are Brian Clements, Alexandra Teague, and Dean Rader. The book is called Bullets into Bells, Poets and Citizens Respond to Gun Violence. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.